as it's our first time as a church gathering to study Christmas and to, and to go through this time, we're doing something that may be a little in, untraditional. We're actually taking the Christmas story and we're telling it. We're just reading and going through the Christmas story. There's so much detail in these, in these stories. And if you look at the birth of Christ through all of the gospel writers, through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all wrote content that was supposed to be delivered to numerous audiences. And so some of these gospels have content that, that overlays each other, but some of them have more details than others. Well, that's because they're telling different people the story of Jesus. And this season, we're going to take these four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we're going to lay them out on the table. And then we're going to take the pieces from each one of them that tells the story. And we're going to look at the Christmas story chronologically as, as the time unfolds from the beginning of the story to the end of the story. We're going to spend five weeks on that. From beginning to end. It's a look at the Christmas story like maybe we haven't seen it since Sunday school. Sometimes we, sometimes we come to church during a, a Christmas program and, and there, there's nothing wrong with it. But, we, but, there, but there's so much doctrine and theology that is put into a Christmas series that sometimes we forget exactly what happened. So we are going to look at it from beginning to end. It's a story that had been talked about by prophets for centuries. And I want you to imagine we're maybe at Christmas and, and all the kids are gathered on the floor around grandpa who's in the, the rocking chair and he's getting ready to tell a story to the children who are gathered and, and he opens up the first page of the book and he's about ready to tell his story and he reads the introduction. And that's what we're going to find from Mark as he's written in Mark chapter 1, verse number 1. Now Mark is not one of the 12 disciples. Mark is a, is, a, is a good chance that he knew Jesus personally, but he starts out our story with this excitement about what's going to come and what's going to be told. As any great introduction does, it gives you a little tease and it tells you just enough to keep you interested as we go forward. As grandpa reads his story, he starts out opening up the book and he reads the first line that says, once upon a time, Mark says it like this in our story, Mark 1, verse number 1. He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The word gospel, it literally means good news. Mark says, in, the, in this beginning of the good news story, it's the good news of the Son of God, the Messiah named Jesus. And so our story of simply Christmas begins. From the Gospel of Mark, that is actually all we are going to read until about January 13th. We're done. He's made his contribution to the Christmas story. He said, once upon a time, that's it. And now he's out. And we will see him once we get into the month of January. And we're going to move on to the Gospel of Luke. We're in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Now, Luke is a very smart man. 
Luke is referred to as a physician. He's the first historian of the early church. And by the time that Luke starts writing his gospel in about the years 60 or 61 AD, there's already been some writings that are circulating about Jesus. And they weren't all from from the disciples. But as you can imagine, Jesus being on earth and everything that went on, other people wanted to write about him and wanted to pass it along. And so Luke takes this investigative position and he says i'm going to find out exactly what happened because there's so much interest in jesus that luke wants to be absolutely correct he's a physician he's a historian we would pretty much want our physicians to be absolutely correct right that's the mindset that luke comes with Look what Luke writes at the beginning of his gospel, Luke 1, verses 1 through 4. In verse 1 he says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of all things accomplished among us. What Luke is saying is literally, the people that have, have seen Jesus and have taken the time to write the history of Jesus, we're going to make sure that we write it down because these, this what I'm writing, we are fully convinced that it absolutely happened. There's no doubt in his mind. He is being entirely true. Verse number two, he says, Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants to the word. He's saying, hey, I received this word from eyewitnesses. I talked to people. I investigated the content from people who were there and people who became ministers of the gospel because they walked with Jesus personally. So Detective Luke he doesn't take the writings of other people at face value. He checks the sources. He scrutinizes the evidence. Look in verse number three. It seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write about it for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. See, in verse number three, we see that, that Luke is writing his gospel, and he's eventually going to write the book of Acts as well. And he's writing it to a gentleman, Theophilus. And, and this man is referred to by Luke as most excellent. He gives him a title. We could assume from that title, we don't know for sure, but it's only an assumption that he may have been somebody who is associated with the, with the Roman authorities. He might have been a Roman dignitary, possibly somebody who paid Luke to write this. There's not a lot of information on this gentleman, but I'm very thankful that Luke took the time to write Theo a letter and tell him everything that happened, because we got a copy of that letter. And then we got a copy of Acts. And I'm thankful that, that Luke took the time to deeply investigate. Because, see, here's the thing. When it comes to the Christmas story, there's so many things that don't make human sense right? There's so many things that we would say, you know what, that sounds like it's from a movie. Not really, you're just making that up. Luke went and talked to people. He went and talked to the people who were there. As we turn our page in the Christmas story, we're introduced to a new writer, our last writer of the day, one of the 12 disciples and later one of the 12 apostles. John writes to both Jews and Gentiles. And John's gospel, it's not like Luke. Luke writes a biography of Jesus. John is a 
thematic presentation of the life of Christ. He, he's telling it almost in movie form. He's giving us all the details. He's telling us what Christ did. It's a different type of writing. Many of the readers in John's original audience would have been from different countries, from different areas. Many of them would have actually maybe worshipped mythological gods, pagan gods. And John shows in his gospel And he's out to make a point that Jesus is not only different than their gods and idols, but he is absolutely superior. He starts off showing the superiority of Jesus in the first few verses in John. I'd ask you to open your Bibles this morning with me to John chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 18 in a message that I have titled, God Became Flesh. See, when we start looking and reading the Christmas story. When we start looking at a story about a little boy that was born in Bethlehem one night, we can't forget where the Christmas story started. See, the Christmas story didn't start with Mary and Joseph. It didn't start with Caesar Augustus calling for account of all the people in the Roman Empire that would send Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. It didn't even start with Isaiah writing a prophecy in 7th century B.C. saying, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. It didn't even start with, with Micah in the 8th century stating that Bethlehem would be the place that the Savior would be born. It didn't start a thousand years before Christ when we were told, when David was told that the Messiah would come through the Davidic bloodline. It didn't start with Abraham. It didn't start with Noah. It didn't start with Adam and Eve. It didn't even start with creation. Point number one in your notes this morning. The Christmas story actually starts from before time began. That far back. From before time even existed. You and I, we can't fathom time without time. But before there was time, there was Jesus. And there was the beginning of our Christmas story. Read with me in John chapter 1. We're in verses 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. See, John starts out the words of his gospel with the words, in the beginning. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Sound familiar? Where does it sound familiar from? Genesis, Genesis, right? Do you think that's coincidence? No, that's not coincidence at all. John knows exactly what he's saying, and he wants to make a point. He wants his readers to understand, yes, I am connecting Jesus to creation. I am connecting the beginning to the beginning and beyond and before the beginning. John wants to put the readers at creation and before creation in the first three words. In making this connection, John states that Jesus existed prior to the first acts of creation. God's Son isn't an act of creation, but the means of creation. That's what John's telling them. 
When we actually stop and look at what John is saying, we, we, we need to dive into some language, and it's some, some theological language, and it can get kind of deep when we start looking at translating words from Greek and Hebrew and, and, and into English. But John says, he uses the term, the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The term the Word used both in Hebrew and Greek by philosophers and theologians. It's, it's a word that, that many people at the time, they would understand this to mean God. Actually, John 1.17, uh, John is going to tell us now exactly what he's talking about. He's going to draw his connection between Jesus and the term the Word. In your Bible, you might see the word word in here capitalized you see it capitalized it's referring as a name to jesus and you say pastor i thought this was a christmas christmas message are you giving us a lesson on the trinity yeah because we really can't separate it from christmas we really can't see it's all because before we can see jesus as a boy in a manger we need to see him as the creator of all things. It's an amazing concept to think, here is a child that, that we, we see a plastic doll in somebody's yard in a makeshift manger, and we think of a, of a human child that can absolutely do nothing on his own. This child created everything. He's the one who created baby boys. He's the one who created cold nights. He's the one that put in motion a census. He's the one who created the sheep that the shepherds were watching. He's the one who created the hay that his mother would lay him on that night. His hand was involved in all of that. He was the one who created it all. Colossians 1 Verse 16 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. See, we can't start the Christmas story in the middle of the book. The manger scene, it's not the beginning of Christmas, but rather that's the climax of the Christmas story. It would be as if you and I were going to the movies and we were going to go and see Titanic. And we know it's a three-hour movie, but we walk in and we sit down and in the first five minutes, the boat sinks. Like, like that's it. What do, what do we do? Like, that's not the beginning of the movie, right? The manger scene is not the beginning of Christmas. Christmas started before time began. And throughout the entire Bible, there's so many prophecies speaking about the birth of Jesus. Before time was even created, Jesus knew that at one point, as he is in heaven with the Father, that he is going to have to leave heaven and come to earth as a child. And in his amazing power, in his amazing providence, he puts things in place before time begins. Because that manger scene does not happen by accident. There's so many things that have to be perfect for it to happen exactly the way that it has been prophesied in the Bible for thousands of years. 
It's not a random event at all. It's so precise that only God can make something happen like Christmas. It is no accident. And be sure that the people then at that day, they knew what they were looking for. God dropped hints to people throughout the Old Testament. Some biblical scholars would attribute up to 300 different prophecies in the Old Testament contributed to Jesus. And of those prophecies, there are signs that point to the birth of Jesus. It was known. Point number two in your notes this morning, God the Father sent messages and messengers to announce the coming of the Son. Sent messages and messengers to announce the coming of the Son. There's people who knew it. Who knew exactly what was going to happen. If you could come back with me in your Bible to John chapter 1 verses 5 through 8. John writes, The light shines of the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. These verses are specifically talking about John the Baptist. We're going to read the story of John the Baptist in the next couple of weeks because his birth is an important piece of the Christmas story as well. Because John and his birth were also put into motion way before time began. Now just to clarify, the author of this book is John, one of the disciples, later to be an apostle. It's not John the Baptist. John the Baptist is a character, is a man who was born around the time that Christ was born. And we're going to study him. John the disciple walked with Jesus as one of the twelve. John the Baptist actually prophesied. He was prophesied about in the book of Isaiah, going back to be the forerunner to the Messiah, for being the person who would go and tell everyone else the Messiah was coming. He was to be a herald. If a king was coming into a kingdom... There would be this long caravan of soldiers and dignitaries and guys up at the front carrying flags and and the king would be in the back and he would be riding on this chair and there would be like eight big strong buff guys with the king up on their shoulders, right? And up at the front of the line you would have the trumpeters and you would have somebody, a herald, who would yell and make the announcements. And he would let everyone know that the king is coming. That was the role of John the Baptist. You know what happens when a classroom full of third graders is maybe left alone for a few minutes as the teacher has to maybe go out the door to talk to a parent or maybe the principal or somebody? So you've got 30 third graders in the room, right? What happens is you have one kid who's assigned window duty, and now you have 29 kids who are going to destroy things, pull hair, color on the walls, draw a pirate patch over the teacher's picture, and, and they're all going to like create havoc, but that one child is there to let everyone know that the teacher's coming, right? <laughs> right? It's that one kid. John the Baptist was sent to let everyone know that the teacher is coming. That was his job, was to let everyone know. Micah the prophet from the 8th century B.C., he says, says the Lord Bethlehem, 
You were one of the smallest towns in Judah, but out of you will bring a ruler for Israel whose family line goes back to ancient times. The prophet Isaiah lived in Jerusalem in the 8th century, and he says, A child is born to us, a son is given to us, and he will be our ruler. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. These are prophecies combined with the messengers that go back years the use of signs and messages were put into place for a specific reason, and it was that God wanted his people to know that the Messiah was coming. He wanted his people to recognize who the Messiah was. He didn't want there to be any sort of confusion. A birth like what happened in Bethlehem during our story is so precise that it doesn't happen by accident. A virgin in Bethlehem? Line of David? We can go on and on and on. This doesn't happen by accident. In a few weeks, we're going to look at the story of the wise men who are coming to see the baby Jesus. Actually, that's going to be week five of our story. And Before the wise men made it to the home where Jesus was, they stopped and they talked to king. And the king of the area was Herod at the time. And they stopped and and they're letting them know, hey, we're coming into town because we want to see the Messiah who we know has been born because we're following a star. And, And Herod really didn't know what they were talking about. So what Herod did is he went around and he started talking to the religious leaders He's like, hey, um, I got these guys on camels that just came into town, and they're looking for some sort of a king. I'm the king. Like, what are they talking about? And all the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, they know exactly what the wise men are talking about because they knew, they had seen the messages, they had read the messages, and, and, and all of these, all, all of the people from the church, they said, oh, yeah. You know what you're talking about. Yeah, the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. Duh. Don't you know that? We all know that. Everyone knew that. All of the religious leaders knew that. They knew exactly what to look for. And they also knew exactly why the Messiah was coming. Although their interpretation was a little bit off, but they knew why he was coming. The Apostle John also wants people to know why the Messiah has come. Let's pick up the action in John chapter 1, verse number 9. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were not born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, the entire Christmas story has a reason The entire Christmas story, it's not for presents, it's not for Christmas songs, it's not for lights and hot cocoa and apple cider, it's not even for family or for snow. It's 
Actually, when we remember the reason for Christmas, it can actually kind of take our Christmas joy away because it doesn't end well for a sleeping baby boy in a manger. Point number three in your notes this morning. The child was born... The child was born in the manger for one reason, to die on the cross. Sometimes at Christmas we, we like, to, we like to, the, the comfort of the manger scene, but we're not quite ready for the anguish of the cross. But you can't separate them. One leads to the other. Even before time began, God knew that man was not going to receive him. See, God can do so many things. He can do so much. But God cannot live with sin. It's one of the things that he can't do that he won't do. There's no sin in heaven. See, God is, God is holy. Holy means to be separated from, to be set apart. God is separated from sin. And God says, you know, he's the creator of all things and makes the rules and says, you cannot come into my home. You cannot bring your sin in here. And he set the rules that we can't walk into his presence with our Sin. And it doesn't matter how much good we've done because one sin is too much to take to heaven with us. So God made these rules and he knew that if it were up to us to make it to heaven with absolutely no sin, God would be lonely for all of eternity. There are about 7 billion people on earth right now in this day and age. And scientists would say that if you were to add up all of the people that have ever drawn a breath from earth all the way back to Adam and Eve, if you were to add them all up, you're going to come somewhere over 100 billion people on the face of the earth in all of the time that earth has existed. 100 billion people so far on the face of the earth and not one of them would spend eternity with God in heaven because we can't make it on our own. If our salvation was up to us when this world is over, heaven would be empty. God said the wages of sin is death. I want you to think about your job. And, and, and when you work, you get a wage. That's, that's what you receive for your work. What we receive for sin is death, right? It's a spiritual death. It's saying that when you sin, what you earn doesn't give you the, the opportunity of spending eternity with God in heaven because He is holy. He cannot live with sin, right? We cannot take that with us. So why don't we go through life without sinning? It's because we can't. Because we were born with a sin nature. We have to blame that on Adam. There was a time, and Adam and Eve messed it up for us, 
But we cannot walk into heaven with our sin. It's because of our sin that we deserve a spiritual death. And God knew that you and I, we would never be able to do it on our own. We are his creation. And we are his beloved creation. And he so wants to spend eternity with us. He wants us to be with him so bad that he knew he was going to have to do something. Even before time began, he knew he was going to have to do something. So Jesus comes from heaven and he's born of a virgin so that as a human and as God, he could die for us a death that we can't die. Even while he was here with all of the messages and all of the messengers, still people wanted nothing to do with him. See, Christmas, Christmas is not simply a joyous story. Christmas is a salvation story. Our salvation starts at Christmas, and Christmas starts before time began. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Here's the application. Without the manger, we would not have the cross. And without the cross, we would have no way of spending eternity with our Creator. Jesus had to be born for one reason. So that he could go to the cross. He came as a boy. He grew into a man. He had parents who he loved. He had family who loved him. And he saw the world that he created and that he loved, all knowing that this world is going to kill him. But as a member of the Godhead, he had to come for us. Because he had to rescue us. He had to rescue us for him so that we could live with him so he could do something that we couldn't do to do the, what we can't do to actually save us from a forever in fire that's what God did for us John 1 verses 14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Christ Jesus. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. The NIV reads like this in verse number 18. It says, no one who has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Point number four in your notes this morning, your final point. To know Jesus the Son is to know God the Father. 
That is such an amazing point. To know Jesus the Son is to know God the Father. We're going to study Jesus. We're going to learn about Jesus. In 2019, our theme is, it's all about Jesus. And actually, starting today, we're going to be on a one-year journey through the, through the Gospels chronologically, looking at the life of Jesus and learning Jesus and learning about God. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. Some people say, I want I wonder what, what God is like. I wonder what he would do here. We have the answers, don't we? If you want to know how God loves, look at Jesus. If you want to know how God cares, look at Jesus. If you want to know how God is just, look at Jesus. If you want to know how God teaches, look at Jesus. If you want to know how God saves, simply look at Jesus. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Colossae that the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Literally, if in that day you would make coins by taking uh, hot metal and, and it would be stamped, it would be stamped with a, with a seal, it, it literally is saying, look, it is an exact replica it is exactly what you would see on the other side of that stamp. It is a reflection. It's a mirror that is exactly the preciseness of God. Between God the Father and God the Son, there is no difference. When you see Jesus, you see God the Father in heaven. And you see a God who loves you. And you see a God who desperately wants to hold you. And you see a God who is willing to take nails for you. All of this, all of the Christmas story is there for a reason. God the Father didn't simply wait in heaven for God the Son to return from his trip from earth for no reason. There's a reason for Christmas. The reason is our salvation. Christ was born because he had to die. Or else none of us could live with our creator. We would have absolutely no opportunity. John 14, 6, it says, Jesus says this, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Nobody I'm going to say that again. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. No one has their sins forgiven except through Jesus. No one can work their way into heaven being a good person. Nobody can pick their favorite God from the world's religions of, of the religious carousel and say this idol or this God is going to get me to heaven. There is only one way. And the only way to eternity with God and Jesus is through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To spend eternity in heaven. To be with the one who created us and loves us more than anyone that you know. Because they know you better than anyone that you know. Paul writes this in Romans 10 verse 9. He says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
But we can't simply believe that Jesus is Lord without believing that his word is true. That's why the Christmas story is so important. That's why the Christmas story is full is full of points and is full of accuracies that only God can create. It's because Jesus is more than simply Lord. He was a man who was born from a virgin, fulfilling Old Testament prophecies. He was born with one mission, and that is to die for our sins. Because if we go to heaven on our own merit and we say, I deserve to come in because I've been good enough, God says, not good enough. And if we go to heaven and, and, and we say, I deserve to get in because I worshiped one of these gods and, and, and they all lead here, right? And God says, wrong. God says, I knew you were going to sin and you can't bring your sin here. And so what I did for you was I sent my son and I put your sin on his shoulders and then I, I watched him die. And with him, your sin died too. And all you had to do was believe and accept that gift. And then when you walk up to these gates and you said, I am here and I want in because I believed in Jesus Christ and I said it with my mouth and I believed it in my heart that He was raised from the dead. God says, you are my child. Come on in. That's why He came. The Christmas story started before time began. And throughout time, God put in place so many messages to let people know that Christ was coming. And right before Christ was born, His herald was born. And his herald walked before him and let everyone know, the king is coming. The king is coming. But he still went to the cross. Because he might be a king, but he was a king on a mission. And he had one mission. Jesus Christ was born so that he could die for you and I. Let's pray.